fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of FGGGBT. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, so awesome to be here. I'm excited to finally actually discuss some real technology and science in ways we haven't done before. Denon, I couldn't be more jolly than I am right now. I'm very excited to talk about this. But before we do, we have to discuss with our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? This week, I am at the North Pole, and I am looking upon the most amazing and efficient manufacturing operation I have ever seen. There's just so many toys coming out of this factory. It's unprecedented. It is. And I know how much you love efficiency, robotic, autonomous-like efficiency. Uh, and, and I completely agree. I'm excited to dive right into this. And for those listening, in case you couldn't guess, we are talking about Christopher Krampus Kringle, a.k.a. St. Nick, a.k.a. the right jolly old elf himself, Santa Claus. And as Denon mentioned, most of his abilities may look like magic, but as you're going to find out, they are as rooted in science and technology as anything that we've ever talked about. And, and I'm very excited about this. And I got to tell you guys, right off the bat, you can see I got my green and, and red on. I got a little festive tie. I'm stealing Ben's gimmick here. For those of you who are listening, you can't see any of this stuff. I recommend you go on YouTube and watch this. Um, but but uh, you know, I'm right into this. I love Christmas. I've always loved Santa Claus. Who doesn't? What kid doesn't? And aren't we all just big kids anyway? Um, but you know, first order of business, guys. We got Santa Claus. Where does he live? He lives in the North Pole. I, I got to tell you guys, one of the things that was disappointing, although not myth-busting, was that the North Pole actually exists in a, in, a, in a section of the Earth where there is just ice cold water and ice flows. This was stunning to me. So what does this tell you about the location of the jolly old man himself? Denon, I'm going to ask you first. Well, you know, ice is a great way to disguise things if you have to. Um, you know, it's a good shielding mechanism, I feel. And we all know, and so is water, by the way. And we all know, you know, you can live in an enclosed space underwater. You don't need land. What fascinates me is, I, I wonder, you know, like some of the shows imply he lived in a castle at the North Pole. Clearly he doesn't at the moment, if that's still true. I think the more modern depictions that have it as a secret underground um, type experience are more accurate, or in this case, under ice. So I'm not so worried about the fact that there's no land there, Dan. I'm just curious if there ever really was a castle. And then as he realized people could get to the North Pole, if he went underground, that's what interests me. Hmm. Well, I, what I like about that, and I think what's really interesting about the North Pole is what we're going to find as we explore Santa, as we pull on this thread and unravel the sweater that is the magic of Santa Claus, I think what we're going to find out is a lot of this stuff, are, it's all misdirection, guys. I believe that Santa, it's not necessarily the magic of Santa, but it is the magic in the sense of illusionist, being able to distract and pull you away from what's actually going on here. Because I think that he chose the North Pole because there is nothing at the North Pole. So if you go to the North Pole, you will find nothing. 
But if you were to live up there in that area, the nearest land is, you know, Ben, I'm going to, you're standing by with my pronunciation, pronunciation police, uh, Caffin Klubin Island, which is right around Greenland. And as most people know, that is not inhabited. And as we saw in Ernest Goes to Christmas, I'm not considering that canon, but it is interesting, the Santa Claus in that, he came from Reykjavik, Iceland, which is very close to Greenland. Ben, what, what do you think about my pronunciation and uh, this idea about the North, the North Pole? No, I think it makes perfect sense that it's all a trick and that he's not really at the North Pole at all. He's either on, he must be on an island, I would say, one of, either a Greenland island or maybe one of the uh, very far North Canadian islands. Uh, there's a lot of land there that no one lives on and you could easily hide something in. And then, you know, you just say North Pole because it's convenient. It's easy. It's close enough. It's an yeah. interesting thought. I mean, I liked where you're going, Dan, with the misdirection, the magic. Um, you know, the risk is you still might be discovered accidentally. I, I have to admit, I've all of my life have been fascinated with the idea of living underwater. Um, we have mm. the lost city of Atlantis and the technology that it would take to disguise yourself underwater. So, I don't know, having an underwater city under all that ice that is the North Pole, um, and maybe then connected to one of those islands through underwater channels... Um, I think that would be an interesting way to design and build your entire operation. Because think of the space you have under the ice cap to make this amazing industrial complex that's going to make all your toys. Well, building stuff has never been a problem for the big man, Big Red, as they call him, Santa Claus. He's got plenty of whatever his infrastructure is. We're going to get to that in a second. He's got plenty of people and things and items and resources to build something like that. And I love the game Bioshock. And essentially, you just described the entire game Bioshock, which is this underground, <laughs> this underwater city, uh, which is also a little weird. And I feel like Santa Claus might be a little weird down there. Who knows what it looks like? He could be one of those geniuses, you know, those eccentric geniuses. Geniuses. I don't know. What do you think about that, Ben? I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, there's one other option. It's not really the North Pole, but the South Pole where mm. he's at. And McMurdo Station, which is actually at the South Pole, it's all just a cover. And all that logistics work that we think is for scientific research, it's really all about hiding Santa and the factory that's really at the South Pole. You know what I love about that? I love that it's secluded. I love that it's out of the way, difficult to get to. And I think that that's part of what Santa wants. And I like this cover-up because one of the main things that Santa does is he maintains this naughty and nice list. Now, I did a couple of little back-of-the-envelope mathematics here, and I found that there's about 33 million children in the U.S. This is the U.S., not the world. The U.S. alone between the ages of 5 and 12. And these are prime Santa years. And according to a Gallup poll in, in December of 2019, 93% of Americans said they celebrate Christmas. That's roughly 31 million children to keep track of. That's a lot of... Lot of, lot of that's a lot Naughty, 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 and nice listing to be doing out there. The, just the, the the scope of this is huge. Ben, I know this this has got to appeal to the engineer in you. How do you, how do you organize all this? Dan, the naughty and nice list. We know that it has to track at least 31 million kids in the U.S., but th there's a whole world out there. There's 500 million Christmas celebrating children in the entire world, and Santa's keeping this on paper for some reason. Now we see in the Santa Claus that it's very nice linen paper and that it's uh it looks like a nice hefty stock and it looks like pretty big like 11 by 17 paper now to that entire list would take up santa claus's entire house eight feet high up to the ceiling the entire house would be filled with that paper uh it would weigh two hundred and thirty thousand pounds 
And now we saw in the Santa Claus, it was shipped all the way from the North Pole to Chicago, where Mr. Calvin was living at the time. Now, it was shipped FedEx, so we actually can figure out that it would have cost $750,000 to ship that list from North Pole, Alaska, uh, to Chicago. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, Santa's really loves FedEx for some reason, because that's a, that's a nice tip there for the FedEx. Yeah. Well, you know, Ben, I think you raise a great point, because that it was an excellent documentary, one of my favorite documentaries. Um, but it is a little outdated and old now. And, and I think it, as we were talking earlier, you had mentioned this. I'm willing to bet Santa has upgraded to other technology Absolutely. at this point. Because I have stopped printing out stuff, which I used to do all the time as a backup. And it saved a ton of space in my house. And so what tech would you, would you let our audience know really is what Santa should be using now? Absolutely. So nowadays in the digital revolution of the Santa's workshop uh, to fit uh, now. So let's do two upgrades. One, let's track all the Christmas people in the world. So now we're talking about 2 billion people, not just the kids, because there's some good evidence that Santa tracks the adults as well. Um, so if you need 30 characters per person's name, that means you need 120 gigabytes of data. So you can fit the whole thing on just a little thumb drive. No problem. Much lighter and much easier to ship. I love that. Well, I will tell you this. So I, I agree with that 100%. The fact that it's not digital. I mean, because you want to keep these year to year and you don't want to have the, the filing system alone would make Iron Mountain blush. I mean, if you had to store all of that stuff, I mean, it's just inc it's incredible. So I, I agree with the digital form. Here's what's I think there's almost something I, I, I dare I say the word insidious. I don't mean to, but I believe that the scope of surveillance is actually what impressed me because I would imagine and I'm with you, Ben. I think you said something very important there, which is. I think he's tracking the adults, too. I think Santa is keeping tabs on everyone from the time they're kids all the way through the through adulthood. And the the level, the scope, just the network of, of I don't want to say spies, but of informants, let's say, of, of, of Santa informants. I mean, this must rival the, the spy wars of the Cold War. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that we've ever seen anything like this, you know, since since that point in time. Well, Dan, I, I actually have a theory behind this. So, and it ties into your earlier theme of misdirection and magic. I feel like most technological breakthroughs that we credit to humans are agents of Santa inspiring humans. So, if you look within my own field, the physics community, particularly the high energy particle physicists, take credit for inventing the internet. Why did we invent the internet? We need to communicate over long distances, large sets of data, because collaborations were in very localized places. I think that was a gift given to us by Santa to then leverage for his monitoring of worldwide um, behavior. I suspect the printing press is the same thing, right? Mm. Because if you think about it, increasing printed books, increasing printed records gives Santa access to a lot more information about people, like biographies and autobiographies um, and other tracking devices. So I would find it very interesting to correlate technological breakthroughs with Santa's need to increase understanding and getting information about kids in the world. 
I think that's incredible. So uh, you, you set me up perfectly here, Denny. You didn't mean to, but you did. On Fascinating Nouns, my other podcast, I did a whole episode on the printing press. And I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe um, Gutenberg, who created the printing press, uh, I believe his middle name was Klaus. And and I don't know if there's any Ooh. connection or not, but, you know, there's something there, Denny. I, I want to I, I tell you something really quickly, because I think this is important. And Ben, I want you to, to we're talking about redundancies here, right? So when you're looking at that list, you know, it's eight feet tall, it's filling up entire houses, you got to remember that there are multiple names on that list, right? There are names, I mean, how many John Smiths are on there? You know, how do we know which John Smith is, is the nice one and which one's the bad one? I, I, I was looking at the, the, you know, 2010s, right? That's the, the era that right around now is when that's the right prime age for Santa. Some kids born in, in 2010. In that, in that decade, the 2010s, I call them, uh, the number one male name was Noah. The number, number one female name was Emma. Uh, and then Liam and Olivia come their second. So how many Noah Smiths are there? How many Emma Smiths? How many Liam Johnsons are there? Johnson was the second most popular last name, Smith being the first. How do you handle these redundancies? And before you answer that, I want to mention that in 2010, Michael was number seven, Benjamin was number 11, and 800 votes behind that was Daniel at number 12. So the three of us, we still have popular names out there, and I'm hoping we're not redundant on that list. Well, I think this is really, again, to my theory of Santa driving innovation in the world, this is why we've invented the field of big data and data analytics. Um, if you look at computer science comp, um, you know, departments across the country and universities, we're constantly improving database technology. Um, people may or may not remember DBase3, um, which was something, um, was one of the, the sort of systems I was involved in for my first and only ever summer job, um, if you don't count being a paper boy. So I'm, I'm totally with you, Dan. And I just, I just think this is another piece of evidence that Santa's driving innovation um, through a secret network of scientists um, and data engineers that he then leverages the breakthroughs in technology. No, I think that's I think that's exactly right, and I want to mention about uh, something else. But but Ben, I am curious, how do you handle the, that those level of redundancies from the names if there are multiple ones? How do you keep that naughty and nice straight? Well, actually, it's a huge problem that we as humans probably need Santa to help us with because this is a big problem for us. It's it's often very difficult for people with very common names to sometimes separate themselves from uh, say naughty versions of people with the uh, the same name. Uh, when people with common names have, say, criminal records, it can become a very tricky thing uh, if you share a name and birthday with them. So I think Santa, we need to get Santa to come help us out and come up with some more better, more and better distinguishing uh, characteristics about people and see how he does it. Well, and the trick, we also mentioned that, not only does he know people's names, he knows their addresses. He's dropping off presents, right? So he knows your name. Uh, he also, he knows when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake, right? Yeah. This, I think, was very difficult in the past. But now when we got Fitbit, we've got phone apps that, that track your sleep, I think hacking into that is the key to Santa's knowledge now, which would mean that at this moment, I would argue that the largest group of computer hackers and data miners in the world, and coal miners, by the way, but the greatest miners in the world are located in the quote-unquote North Pole, which could be in the South Pole, as Ben said, underwater, as Denon said, or on the tip of Greenland, as I said. What do you think about that? I think that's so right, Dan. Um, you, you've kind of nailed it. It's We think of them as just the toy makers, but it's this other infrastructure that is so so key. Yeah. I, I think Calvin says it best when he says, kindly old elf or CIA spook. 
<laughs> when describing Santa. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And it's going to, I'm going to tie this up later on because I think tracking people throughout their entire lives, whether they're naughty or nice, plays a very important role uh, in Santa Claus. But you mentioned toys, Denon. We, how can we talk about Santa and not talk about toys? I want to give you a couple of quick little stats here. When it comes to toys, I mean, there's no prolific, more a more prolific toy maker than Santa Claus himself. If I'm getting my numbers right, if we got 31 million kids in the world and we give them one toy each, well, quick math, that's 31 million toys, right? Well, if you if you multi, if you divide that by 363 days, if you take out Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, the the group of people, I don't know if they're elves or not, but they're making around 85,000 toys per day. And assuming that Santa's following traditional labor laws, you know, eight hours shifts, no overtime, thing, you know, not working to around the clock. On an eight-hour shift, they're making about 30,000 toys, which is roughly 3,558 toys per hour, which if I do some quick math, that's five aisles of toys in a traditional store, uh, you know, Target, Walmart, any of those toys or any of those stores. Uh, this is an incredible, uh, uh, just a monumental amount of toys, huge amounts. How? What's the log- logistics behind this? Well, I- I'm going to jump in here, Dan, and claim that there's actually a physics issue here that I suspect that now as a spoiler alert, we're going to do a whole episode on delivery mechanisms, but this physics ties in. I think that elves have evolved the ability to manipulate space and time. Hmm. And I think they can create, they can take advantage of what we know about general relativity, but what we haven't learned to do yet. Um, This is my postulate, my hypothesis. And so they create little time bubbles for themselves in which they're working. So your calculation is perfectly correct as a classical calculation. Right. But I think we have to consider the relativistic effect. And my evidence for this, Dan, is the other documentary we haven't really talked about much yet, Elf. Mm-hmm. Because in Elf, though he works incredibly fast, um, Elf himself is only producing at roughly a human rate because as a human, he has not evolved the space-time control that the other elves have. And and you can, you know, it's like a, a top athlete can only go so far, Right as we've talked in about many of the technologies and things we've looked at. So I think there is actually a relativistic um, element here to the toy production. Hmm. I didn't actually think about that, but what's interesting about that is how would they sync up their toy manufacturing if they are existing outside of time? Like, how, Because w- one of the things that I think is interesting is you've got tons of toys. You've got plastic toys, wooden toys. You've got electronics, moving parts, action figures, you know, stuffed toys. These all take a... a Total, the total disciplines of the world. You got engineers, you got craftsmen, you got you know carpenters and all that. You need each elf. They can't be a master of all of those disciplines. How do they work in unison? I imagined more of like an assembly line, but you're saying that's not the case. Well, I, you know, I I don't know what the current world is for them. I'm I'm betting it's kind of a hybrid thing, um, but I do think there's a key biological element here of space time manipulation. The other thing I suspect. Um, we sort of thought about this, I think, you know, there usually is the Christmas toy that you want to get, right? So, you know, when we stop and we think carefully, it's not like they're making tons of different types of toys any given year. Like from year to year, what they're making changes radically. But in a given year, it's a pretty focused set of things kids are asking for. Once again, going to Santa's ability to manipulate our world he probably drives the the main Christmas solution to a single toy or maybe three or four toys to maximize, you know, or minimize the number of skills in any given year his elves need. 
<laughs> the main Christmas solution. I like that. <laughs> That's funny. But Ben, what do you think about this? I mean, you're an engineer. I mean, do you think that he's? Uh, you think there's a lot of engineers on staff? How many elves do you think are are, are in this world? Well, there's definitely some elves that have specialized in logistics and operations because we have to, it's not just, you know, we can solve the problem of how they have time to build everything with relativity and such, but we still, we still haven't solved the problem of how do you get the materials to the North Pole, wherever it is. Now, if you think about those 3,500 toys per, per hour that are being produced, you have to think that's a lot of plastic. That's a lot of paper. That's a lot of cardboard. That's a lot of wood. That and it's got to be sh- being shipping in and out of the North Pole. That's that's like a whole. That's probably a couple uh, containers uh, per per day coming in and out. Where are they? Where are they coming from? Where are they going? That's that's what I'm. That's what I'm curious about. And I think the answer is simple. Obviously, us humans. You know, for the toys we get for our children, there's. We have solved this problem. We deliver plastic uh, to the places, to the toy factories. The toy factories put the toys on ships. The ships go across the ocean, get unloaded at ports, and then trucks take the toys to all the various targets and Walmarts. <laughs> Not sponsored. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Careful there. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this is something that we've done as humans. So I figure if we can do it, certainly the elves can do it. Uh, but they have the special, the extra thing of they're also hiding their ships. Well, you know, I like how you said that, Ben. And, and you know, something I'll just put in a plug here for my other day job at UCI working with students. Um, I think many people do not understand the deep engineering and mathematical challenges of the supply chain and of figuring that out. Um, and once again, I would argue Santa is probably manipulating what we're doing. Look at our transition to an Amazon-style, again, not a sponsor, sorry, (laughs) Amazon-style economy, right? Like, that's a whole very different shipping and distribution mathematical problem. I mean, we've talked a lot in this show about the tech at the level of the device. There is, Dan, you nailed it. There is an amazing technology involved in, in just the production conception. And as Ben said, that's a whole level of engineering that is critical. And I'm much more impressed by the elves' supply chain management than the actual making of the toy at the last minute. I think that's the easier thing to solve. I mean, it may be the easier thing to solve for sure, but I mean, if he's upgrading his naughty and nice list, you know, I, I've, I, I'm, I'm suggesting that he's upgrading uh, the, the manufacturing of toys. So that would mean, I don't know that the elves exist. I don't know if there are elves. Is this another smokescreen? I mean, this is kind of my prevailing argument is, I don't know that, I think the elves are part of the Santa story, but Santa is, has, if he's upgrading everything else, why would he be relying on manual labor? I mean, I think if he's, I think there's AI involved here. There are, there are tons of robots that are able to, 3D printers, right? I mean, wh- how is this stuff not being 3D printed? Maybe there are some, some elves overseeing all of this stuff, but I imagine his reliance on actual physical manual labor is very, very low at this point. Well, Dan, that's why I said it's a hybrid solution. I think he's still leveraging the elves because of their biological ability to manipulate space and time. But instead of doing it in a little bubble where they're just hammering something, they're there monitoring, controlling the equipment, keeping it in the space-time bubble, but then using the technology you're talking about. That's my vision. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's it definitely seems correct that he's not relying on just elf labor. And there's certainly things that I mean, obviously, elves are magical and can probably create anything, but it's probably even faster to use an injection molding machine that can make thousands of pieces of plastic per second 
and be using something like that to say make your Legos every year rather than uh, having an elf magic them up out of nothing every time. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the things I want, I almost want to dispel the magic element of Santa Claus. I think he's actually pulling this off from his creativity, um, his his master of technology. I don't I think the magic, that's, that's the fun part of it, but I think he's pulling this off in some pretty astounding ways, and that's what I think is really amazing about this guy. Oh, I'm, I'm with you on that all the way, Dan. I'm wondering if the elves with their relativistic powers... Are maybe the elves themselves naughty? And what we're what's really happening is he's just stealing a little little percentage off of all the toy factories around the world using these quantum and relativistic powers. And there's no factory at all. That's the kind of stuff that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, uh, look, if Santa Claus is painted as an incredibly, incredibly great figure, and so was Robin Hood, right? But Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave to the poor. If Santa Claus has some kind of similar formula, I wouldn't be surprised. To be perfectly honest with you, I'd be okay with it. Yeah, maybe every toy factory just pays a Santa tax. And that's where all the toys really come from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, because then you really got to think about, you know, how, how does he pull off this operation, right? We're talking about the 363 days out of the year where he's not delivering toys. And I, but I think, you know, the stuff we're talking about, Ben, you mentioned it, a lot of resources here, right? Whether it's physical resources or financial resources. I mean, we're talking an almost wily e. Coyote level of financial independence that I think is is almost astounding. But I, here's here's something here guys here how does he get that that's the question and i think i have the answer here right i think that he is an extraordinarily probably the most connected person on the planet right he has extreme power extreme influence and extreme money now how does he get how does he get this level of influence well we've already answered the question guys he has an, an extraordinary level of dirt information on each influential person in the world through his surveillance system and i think in a lot of ways that makes the wheels of the world you know he greases them a little bit they move a little bit more smoothly for mr claus what do you think about that well you know dan i, I hate to do this i'm going to disagree with you slightly uh, usually, you know, I think you're spot on. I think you came close, but I really think it goes back to what I said earlier. Santa is the driver of most innovation and in technology. I, I'm going to combine a, a few things you and Ben said that I think actually just solves this whole thing. And then, of course, some things I said. So basically, he holds the patent, if you think about it, on everything going back to the printing press. Every major technological advantage, the Santa Industries, are actually through shell corporations holding the patents on. That's his source of money. All he needs to do is legally order you know, a set number of toys every day from all of these companies making them through these shell companies, get them into a supply chain, um, maybe a few specialty items the elves are making, but the elves are really managing this whole corporate layer of money. So he doesn't actually have to use his dirt on people. He might as a backup if someone's looking like they're going to discover too much information or get out of line. But I think most of this is just above board leveraging of every key patent since the printing press. Hmm. Uh, so I got a little bit to say to that, but Ben, I'm going to give you an opportunity here to explain all this. No, I think that makes perfect sense. I think Santa owns, Santa is the original creator of consumer products and consumerism in the world. And so through his patents, through his inventions, he has licensed this technology, these products, the, these means of production throughout the world. And then through the Santa tax, he gets part, he gets some of those items back to give away um, to keep 
you know, to keep it all going. I mean, I like that, but I got to tell you guys, there's there's almost there's no pure philanthropic effort in the world, and I think that Santa is absolutely no exception. I think that his his motivations for children's happiness is 100% pure. Don't get me wrong there. But I think the way he is going about this is, is I think it's worth looking into because no one who has ever met Santa Claus doesn't love Santa Claus, right? He's an extraordinarily charismatic person. There's not a single, I don't think there's a person in definitely in this group or in the world who would disagree that Santa is not extremely charismatic. Who else is extremely charismatic? cult leaders, people who get their other people's devotion. I would argue that I think that through some level of his charisma, he has convinced lots of people to follow him. And those who don't follow him or don't help him, I think he uses a little bit of that surveillance information to get them to kind of push in the direction he wants them to go to become the greatest humanitarian in the world. And I think that that's just the reality of human nature. That's my personal view. I'm also an extraordinary cynic, so uh, that's not going to... That's not going <laughs> to... <laughs> Shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody there. But I, I think, you know, we've reached our errors, additions, and omissions section. You know, there's are things we want to talk about, but we're not going to. But I think we are going to a little bit. So, Denon, do you have anything for the non-delivery side of Santa Claus? Well, you know, this is a, a really a reference to one of the old stop-action animation movies. I mentioned the original picture of his castle existing. I always wondered, given his great construction ability from a toy perspective— why in this one storm pieces of his roof are ripping off and flying away? So it's a little piece. I, you know, again, it's a documentary doing its best. Maybe, maybe they're just guessing the roof would fall apart. But I feel like Santa's castle would be built much better than that. Dennett, I think that that's I think that that's um, perfectly irrefutable, and I, I completely agree with you on Santa's castle. Um, I've got a, I've got an, a, a correction here, guys. I don't you know it's errors, additions, omissions. This is technically an error error slash correction. But in in our prep and landing episode, I said Thrasher was the nineteenth reindeer. That was me simply getting tongue tied. That was a you know a, a verbal typographical error. He is the ninth reindeer, I believe. Um, well, I guess Rudolph is the ninth, so he'd be the tenth. I don't know what number he is, but I know he's not the nineteenth. At least I'm pretty sure. <laughs> let's, just say, let's say that. Um, and also, we didn't even talk about coal acquisition. And I feel like coal has come under some scrutiny. Uh, mining coal is very difficult, and we're moving away from it. I wonder if Santa is not going to move away from coal in the future, or if he's going to give something that's coal-like. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought that pencils had lead in them, but it's actually graphite. But who knows knows the difference? Maybe kids are going to start getting something that is coal-adjacent, you know, almost like pyrite is gold adjacent. So if we've missed anything, we're easy to get a hold of. You want to contact the show? Here's how to do it. We're on Twitter at FGGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. You just flip my name. I'm at Denon Michael. And then on Facebook, you stick in the prof. It's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at bseepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. Now, as you can see, preparing for the big Christmas ride, the trip around the world takes as much work and, and planning as the trip itself. You know, being Santa... It's not an easy job, and it requires a gigantic team and cutting-edge technology. Now, if you find yourself in possession of such a team or such technology, be responsible with it. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening.
Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn co-production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening